0: Welcome to Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedoms with George Christensen. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. Conservative One. G'day and welcome to Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedom. I'm George Christensen, your host and Australian Member of Parliament. And I'm delighted with the guest that we've got with us today. He is a great man. He is actually a priest of the Church of God, in particular, a priest in the Church of England, where he served for some 37 years from 1980. To 2017, He spent 23 of those years at the University of Sussex, where he was a senior lecturer and senior chaplain. He lectured in the psychology of religion. He lectured in literature. He convened a Master of Arts program in monotheist mysticism. He was employed as a freelance reporter by the BBC to present a weekly faith and ethics radio program for about four years. He's also widely written in periodicals like The Spectator, as well as The Times and The Daily Mail. In 2008, he was appointed chaplain to the Queen. Yes, to the Queen. He served in that role from 2008 to 2017. In 2017, he controversially resigned from the Church of England. We're going to hear more about that a bit later. Uh, but after that, he went on to serve as a bishop in a continuing Anglican church, and breakaway Anglican church. But recently, he's converted or been received, I should say, into the Roman Catholic Church, where uh, he is now an esteemed layman, and I assume that might go on to become an esteemed priest if they recognise the Holy Orders, which I'm sure they're going to. And I refer to Dr Gavin Ashenden. Hello, George. What a kind welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm not yet
1: esteemed. I haven't done anything to be esteemed for yet as a lay Catholic. But, But yes, they are looking to see whether or not I can be reordained. My my local Catholic bishop, who is a really wonderful man and he is esteemed, uh, asked me if I, you know, when I might be likely to convert to Catholicism. And I, I said I'd, I had it in mind, like Constantine, to do it sometime before my deathbed. <laughs> uh, and he said, would you know, would you would you come now? We we'd be glad for your help. And this seemed to me like a like a true vocation, the church calling you. And yeah, I had no, I I couldn't find any. Obviously, I looked at both sides of the coin. I've taught myself to look at both sides of every argument for the whole of my adult life. I couldn't find any reason for saying I wouldn't come uh, and and uh, we'll probably get back to this. I had given the I given anglicanism uh, a shot at trying to reconfigure a kind of middle ground church, middle ground between catholicism and and reformed uh, to see if we could withstand the extraordinary assault on the faith of in in our time and i come to the conclusion that anglicanism lacked one or two essential things it needed much though i loved it so so yes they're going to look at to see whether i can be reordained and that's in the hands of of, of the of god and and of the vatican mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll see what happens
0: we might we will touch on that but i wanted to talk about your resignation from the church of england and that was a very specific thing and it was probably a culmination of things happening but uh, it seemed that the press reported at least at the time that the straw that had broken the camel's back was when we had the Quran being read and preached from within one of the major cathedrals there could you just talk us through that
1: yes but just for the sake of accuracy my <laughs> i found myself being stripped of my anglican identity almost against my will really by my circumstances and then my response to it. So the, the reading of the Quran was the catalyst to my resigning as a chaplain to the Queen. And I can I can explain it really very quickly. The, there's a, a very colourful dean of Glasgow, of the Anglican Cathedral in Glasgow in Scotland, and he decided it would be a hospitable thing to reach out to the Islamic community. But he chose to do it on the Feast of the Epiphany, which, as uh, everyone knows, is a really very important event claiming, describing, celebrating certain things about the centrality of Jesus who he is uh, and what he does for us and he chose to to invite a Muslim student to read during the the Eucharist well okay that's that's not impossible but he invited to read from the Quran well that is mm. unacceptable and the passage he invited to, to read was the one that specifically repudiates and refutes jesus claims to be who he is so yeah. he had this extraordinary contradiction which it was the level of, of coherence and rationality was just a nonsense but as the level of worship and witness was was atrocious and i would say i would say blasphemous i mean i use that word care carefully because one can't throw it around very much but i i i i decided to do nothing about it on the day i heard because scotland is a separate province and for those people with a sense of ecclesiastical rules that that matters, but a few people in the cathedral complained bitterly, mainly some some students who were faithful, mm. and he set the police on them. <laughs> so he had the police visit them and accuse them of homophobic hate crimes because he happens to be a prominent gay activist, uh, and 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 interpreted all criticism of any of his
0: actions so wait, as wait, homophobia. Wait, a, a, a gay priest in the Anglican Church in Scotland that invited a muslim student to read the quran uh, on on epiphany on the celebration of epiphany in church. <laughs> yep. Well, that's ticking all of the politically correct boxes there.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, so, 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 so but it was and it was a hate crime and so setting the police on the students that i objected to. This this is no longer a a, a piece of ecclesiastical turf war. This is a yep. this this moved the whole thing into a wider agenda. So i wrote a letter to the to the times i i've uh, written to the Times and for the Times, London, on a number of occasions, and I, I I criticized him and said, you know, this was completely wrong. Now I've been speaking out for some for some time, and, and partly because of my experience at the University of Sussex, where I had spent nearly twenty-five years watching the cultural change take place, and to, for, I think for the first half of that, I, I was fairly sort of progressive. Uh, I had. I was very much in love with Carl Gustav Jung, and I decided that Jung offered a kind of an interpretive key to the relationship between spirituality, psychology, and and the human condition. For those who understand the psychological landscape, my defense is he was my antidote to Freud. (laughs) And to those who don't, I will simply say that Jung is a very dangerous Gnostic false teacher. And as the culture war developed, I realized that I was becoming a Jungian instead of a Christian. I was Mm -hmm. taking Jung's interpretation of, of the spiritual journey instead of Jesus's. And what made me see that was the fact that the advertising for our culture in terms of the priority of sexual identity and sexual expression didn't deliver. What actually I was dealing with was very hurt, very confused really quite seriously traumatized people who'd thrown themselves into the deep end of the uh, multisexual pan identity uh, agenda that we'd had and i realized it didn't work it was damaging people and there came a moment when i decided for the next year i'll run i'll run a, a sort of orthodox christian pastoral theological interpretation alongside a progressive jungian liberal interpretation of, of each encounter i have and let, let's see which one tells the most truth and by the end of the year actually really quite a lot quicker i'd realized i'd been i'd been bamboozled <laughs> and and that the orthodox biblical traditional one told the truth and the other one didn't so this meant i had i had to change my mind about my allegiance to the contemporary culture and i had to go around really as it turned out quite a lot of gay friends saying look you know, I love you, you know I've always supported you, you know I've always wanted to protect you. And they said, Yes, you, you know, you've been you've been pretty good on that. And I said, Well, actually, we've been wrong. <laughs> we've all got to repent. And this caused, and I'm going to be speaking about this in public. Please, please don't hear this as an attack on you personally. But I think we've simply we've all got it wrong. So so from that point onwards, I found myself speaking out publicly against the zeit, what I call the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. Mm. And the, the business with the Quran, uh, because I identified two main assaults on the Judeo-Christian tradition, one from the gay activist agenda and the other from Islam. And very interestingly, we may go into this later at this time, but the, the gay activist agenda, which is driven by the, the hunt for equality and the redistribution of power in our society – has denoted Muslims as victims, and so it gives them a free pass for everything. And one of the most extraordinary phenomena in our culture is the way in which feminism, in particular, refuses to direct any of its critique against Islamic culture and gives them this irrational free pass. Mm. Yes, yeah, that's right. So uh, that's a brief background. I'd been speaking out and writing a bit about it fairly carefully. And after I, the Times published my piece criticizing yeah. the... Gay Dean for using homophobia as a way of silencing Christians who legitimately complained about this abuse of epiphany I got a phone call from the palace. And um uh, the palace is not run by the Queen. (laughs) It's run Mm. by it's run by, if you like, a kind of internal civil service. And the the head of the internal civil service phoned me up and said, Dr. ashton we've got a problem. And so I said, Okay, on a scale of one to ten. How serious is it? Now, the reason i had done that is that the, the Archbishop of Canterbury had set a number of not very competent bishops on me for the last. Oh, I suppose this is this is Welby, not um, not the Blessed Rowan Williams. Mm. Uh, to and and clearly they they were trying to shut me up. <laughs> so I get a phone call saying, you know, we're a bit upset about what you've written here, and you should consider being quiet. <laughs> and so yeah. I would say to each of them, okay, look, here's everything I've written in the last. 12, 12 weeks, you tell me, you know, you tell me what's wrong with it, where where it offends anything Anglican, anything biblical, anything Christian, you know, and then we can discuss it and if I'm wrong, I'll apologise and change my ways, but of course that wasn't the intention, the intention really was right. to bully me
0: into silence. That's right. Uh, so so having seen... If you're anything sorry, like I me, know. that would be like uh, waving a red flag to a bull <laughs> trying to shut Total. you up, so... <laughs> I am
1: like you, and... and uh, I said, you know, bring it on. Let's discuss this thing openly. I was very cross, actually, both that it originated from Lambeth and also that, that you know, it wasn't it wasn't even done by very clever people, which I objected to. I thought, you know, at least set somebody on me <laughs> that can give me a fair fight. So when, so you know, that's why when when Buckingham Palace phoned up, I said, well, what's you know, what's the sc- score here? Really I was asking are you trying to bully me or is there a real problem and the answer was there's a real problem mm-hmm. on a scale of one to ten he said let's put it about nine right. no I said okay well let's i say well let's deal with this quickly and clearly then uh, you know no no posturing no to two adults with public responsibilities um, yeah. and he said, look you know you know as well as anybody that the queen cannot be drawn into politics she yeah. can't be drawn into into culture wars yeah. uh, her whole the whole integrity of the monarchy depends upon sitting light to that and indeed it does so he said Mm. here's our problem the general public are under the impression that when you speak out you speak on behalf of the queen and the difficulty we have is you just might yeah (laughs) so then he said the other problem is that that when you speak out the general public think that the queen listens to you and and adapts her views to what you say and the problem is she just might
0: wasn't going to go down this track which is a very faithful lady isn't she i mean that uh uh, we saw some uh, great leadership from her recently with that coronavirus uh, telecast that she did. Um, but but she is a lady of immense faith. Would that be right to say? She's a wonderful Christian. But but one has to distinguish between the
1: between the Queen as the monarch, and the Queen as Elizabeth Mountbatten. Yes. Um. So you know, it's it's it. I mean, the Queen as the monarch is the defender of the faith, whatever that odd phrase means, because it doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, it was originally designed to compliment Henry VIII on uh, his repudiation of Luther, this attack on Catholic yeah. doctrine. Mm-hmm. But so, as 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 the monarch, she has this constitutional role with the church. But as an individual, Elizabeth was profoundly influenced by Billy Graham, and has a very real and authentic faith. And and some people think that over the last ten years, it's become much more articulate, particularly at her time of christian broad a christmas broadcast so yes mm, mm. she's a very faithful person but he wasn't talking about her he was talking about the queen as monarch Understood. and basically saying you can't because you have an association with a monarchy as a chaplain you can't speak out publicly so therefore help us solve the problem and i said well there are only two solutions uh i either swear myself to silence or i resign yeah. he said yeah that's what I think, too. And he was being very careful not to ask me to resign, you know, so I could never say they, they, they gave me the push. Uh, and again, that's quite right. And I think, I, I think, to be honest, I had probably been a bit slow. I realized I was on thin ice. I had decided that God had given me this platform and I would use it. And I knew, like so many public platforms, like my radio show on the BBC, I knew it would come to an end. That the more, you know, there would be a point where public opposition to the gospel would present a crisis, and I would have to withdraw. I didn't know when it was, and I was surprised it was at that moment. And that was my, my ineptitude, really. Uh, I, I could have foreseen it, but if I had foreseen it, I'd have done nothing different. Um, this was a matter of principle, and, and I believed that Christians have a duty, especially Christians who hold some kind of public office. Have a duty to speak out in the public space and say, "Look, the demands of the gospel are these, and this is what's happening, and this is my take on the interaction of these two things." Now you can make up your mind, but by speaking out, I'm hoping I will help you make up your mind. As in, you know, you agree with me, or you don't agree with me. It doesn't matter if you don't agree with me, but you need to think it through. Uh, and so I, I, I then handed in my resignation and 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 asked if I could do it discreetly. I, I was embarrassed. At having to resign, really, I thought maybe this was a lack of not having seen it coming. This was a a lack of political skill or insight on my part. Mm-hmm. But to my great surprise, I, I, uh, I, the whole thing blew up, and I found myself on on the Bolt Report and Fox News by yes. the end of the week. And so uh, it, it it gave me a, a worldwide public platform to continue to say these things. And from a th- theological point of view, I would say God is faithful and Never mocked, and uh, as one door closes, he will open a bigger and better door yeah, uh, if he chooses.
0: It certainly looks like that that door is open with uh, your reception into the Roman Catholic Church, and I'd say that you take you took a, a a very principled stand there, a stand of integrity. Islamophobia hasn't killed anyone. Uh, Islamist terrorism has now killed tens of thousands of people. Conservative wine. 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 Could I bring us well forward to right now and this um, pandemic crisis that uh, we're going through, happening in your country, happening in my country, happening all around the world? Uh, the UK, from what I can gather, is in a more sort of serious stage of lockdown, as you're calling it over there. We're not really calling it lockdown here. It's just self isolation and uh, and social distancing. They're the sort of buzz phrases that are going around. What is happening over there, and I noticed that you had put a tweet up um, talking about the lockdown costing, um, costing the economy a fair bit and costing uh, the UK the ability to build six new hospitals each day. This will probably be an area where we disagree on. I, I don't think that, at least in Australia, I don't know the UK's situation, but in Australia, I don't think right now it's the time to lift restrictions, um, but it may be uh, in the not too distant future. Um, so I'm wondering what your view is on the pandemic in general, and also going to that tweet, your thoughts on ending the lockdown in the UK.
1: Mm. George, you may be right. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm I'm not an economist. Uh, And part of the problem is nobody has enough facts. So one of the reasons we're arguing in public is because uh, there are a whole series of facts that nobody has access to and and time will tell. But leaving aside who's right for the moment, uh, there's a sliding scale between not damaging the health service by having it overwhelmed with people succumbing Mm. to to, to, to COVID-19 today and taking such an economic hit that we can't fund the health service for the next 10 to 15 years because mm-hmm. the money isn't there. So this is the, the problem that our politicians have. Now, if the coronavirus turns out to be a kind of pneumonia double plus, and then this raises the question of those who die with coronavirus and those who die from it, then it could be that the cure is worse than the disease. We will have damaged our capacity to fund our health service by taking too Stringent, a uh, precaution. If, on the other hand, that's not true, and this turns out to be the most dreadful pandemic, um, then then it would have been the right thing for the economy to take a hit to yeah. save lives on that scale. There's the, there's the other problem that that if it behaves like Spanish flu, hitting the the virus hard and fast in the first wave. Won't have saved us from anything very much because there'll be a second and third way. Come back, yeah.
0: yeah. And it's
1: inconceivable, they- yeah. And it's inconceivable we can lock the economy down for three, two or three years.
0: No, they- that is inconceivable. What 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 are they doing in the UK? Just for my Australian listeners, uh, what are the measures that are currently in place that you're having to abide um, by? No. Strict uh, regulation and probably uh, fine or jail as consequences if you break it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I mean they're very sensible. They're very sensible, and and they are. Everyone who's not a non-essential worker, sorry, everyone who's not an essential worker, uh, stays home and doesn't come out, apart from shopping and emergencies and a bit of exercise. And at all other times, practice social distancing. Uh, I, I think a more interesting um, argument that we're having at the moment is whether or not the churches should close to enforce that. Uh, it seems to me as I go shopping every so often that the social distancing the supermarkets are engaging in is really very effective and very efficient and first of all there's some some new science saying that uh, you don't you don't in fact get infected by the virus on surfaces or we do with great difficulty and you don't easily get infected by in the open air you do in a closed room but not in the open air so my my view given the fact that of come into the public domain is that that churches should not have allowed themselves to be closed down because, you know, you can practice social distancing in a church just as much effectively as you can in a supermarket. But we have an obligation to God as we have an obligation to our bodies. And you set that obligation to worship, to pray, to witness uh, aside at your peril. And I think that uh, I quite uh, What the bishops have done in this country is they've, they've closed all the churches, not as a health and safety measure to save people from getting uh, infected, but as, as a piece of civic duty to set a good example. Well, I think that's absolutely crazy. You know, we are not here to set. Uh, we do, as it happens, set good examples. We behave morally and sensibly. But, but we're not here to close down worship that could be conducted with the right social distancing. Without damaging anyone's health, and 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 we should. I, I I'm finding this stance taken by the bishops really very difficult to understand and sympathise with.
0: Yeah, look, I I hear what you're saying. I have I have mixed views on that myself. I fully comprehend the argument that you are putting forward there, and I have a great deal of sympathy for it. I mean, uh, if we're sacramental Christians, if we consider the Eucharist in particular, the uh, summit and source of life. Uh, being withheld from that is is a is a great thing. It's a it's a horrible thing. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, I also do see that uh, you know if it was just open slather church, and I'm not not saying that's what you're arguing for, but if if it was just open slather, it could uh, increase the risk of the communication of this virus, and uh, uh, that would be a big problem. yeah. But yep. I, I, I but, think. But, but,
1: that, but yeah with respect yes. as as a politician you've done to me what your opponents do to you which is you you make a point and Had then, and then your critic, <laughs> yeah, well your <laughs> critic then develops your point to far beyond the way you intended it to show it's a bad point oh really okay. uh, i mean, no, no. Well, so, but you know, i know that's not if what we're you're going to church, no no it, if we're going to go into churches yeah. we would practice the most hygienic social distancing we would do everything right by the medical rule book what i'm Correct. saying is that's that's possible I'm not suggesting that that there should be any level of medical or scientific irresponsibility. I'm just saying if we can do it in supermarkets, and we can, Yes. We can do it in churches, and we can. So well, why aren't
0: we? L- l- let's, let's push that even bit, bit further here. I mean, uh, uh, in Australia, I don't know about in the UK, but I just found out to my dismay the other day that while we've cancelled elective surgery, that abortion clinics are still operational ah, and deemed ah. essential services. So we've got abortion clinics ah. open, but churches closed, I found out, uh, well, we've got adult stores or sex shops that are open, uh, so this apparently is an essential service. Uh, we've got bottle shops, but I've got to tell you, that is an essential sorry, The liquor <laughs> stores. Um, uh, but, but you know, these venues open, but church is not and you can't social distance there. I think that, yes, there's going to have to be a bit of a look at that uh, down the track, um, hopefully not too far down the track. Can I move on to bigger issues, I guess. Um, you have, while you were serving as an Anglican clergyman and then as a continuing Anglican bishop, you were very critical about Anglicanism and progressive Christianity overall. And I want to mm. read back to you a uh, great quote that you said. You said, there's a civil war raging at the moment in mm. Anglicanism and elsewhere between progressive Christianity that takes its priorities from the zeitgeist, the present culture, and a faithful orthodox belief that keeps faith with what Jesus taught in the gospels you raised some of that as your rationale for leaving the church of england and i guess moving towards roman catholicism but this is a bigger problem than than the church of england it's a problem that really this progressive form of christianity has infected all of the mainline churches and you know i don't want to I, I don't want to push this one too far but the leader of 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 the roman catholic church uh, pope francis is often accused of being in that camp uh, how do you think there's going to be a restoration to orthodox christianity that's a very difficult question
1: uh, i think perhaps only because those of us who believe in it articulate it and fight for it uh, explaining why we're fighting for it i think the broader categories that we're dealing with are essentially the world of the spirit and the world of politics so the the liberal and progressive agenda looks to the world of politics and says we have a relevance here and christian teaching and understanding Mm. is properly expressed in the following political ways and this goes back really to when i was a, a young law student and i became very interested in communism and in particular in liberation theology and I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful? Because it would be so cool. It would be so cool to be a communist Christian. It would be so cool <laughs> to get in, get again involved in in liberation theology. Because I would I would get so much kudos from my political friends, you know, I would have a double whammy. I'd be spiritually on the button, and I'd be politically ahead of the curve. And you know, that would be a great place to be. And as, as time has gone by over the last uh, thirty five years, I've looked at the political agenda, and I slowly come to realize that communism and, and the whole left wing project is a form of, of of utopianism that eventually leads to dystopia uh, you know we've had lots of helpful insight into that through 1984 and brave new world and uh, and and venezuela and cuba and the mm. ussr um, china and uh, china and it's taken me it's taken me really quite a long time to have the courage of my convictions and say the political outworking of the gospel is a dead end street, and really, quite—it's a dangerous heresy. And when you look at the gospels, you see that Jesus does absolutely nothing about the politics. He sidesteps it all the time. You could quite easily take the um, all the political dynamics of the children of, of Israel being under an occupied, colonial, fascist power, uh, with a national identity and having national liberation built into the um, to the DNA of of the prophetic. Traditionally, it would be so easy for a Messiah to come along and say, let us throw these people off our backs and create the state God wants us to to create. But even in that highly charged circumstances where you could have had a political reading, and, you know, a lot of people think that Judas had that reading with a lot of the other freedom fighters of the day, the kind mm. of the Maccabees, the successors to the Maccabees. Jesus didn't do it. He avoided it at all costs, and the reason he avoided it is because of, of the world of the spirit, which he spent so long teaching about, starting with Nicodemus. And I mean, there's a wonderful miracle I like, where in the Gospel of John, a, a man has a two-stage healing from blindness. You know, first of all, he's, Jesus lays hands on him and puts paste on his eyes, and he sees he sees shapes. And then there's a second stage, and I think in a way that Orthodox Christianity is a bit like a two-stage healing. It's 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 quite easy not easier but you know there's a naturalness in becoming a christian and then trying to apply your faith to make the world a better place but there's a deeper more authentic christianity which is that the world doesn't become a better place by by picking up political solutions now there's a very delicate balance here because if you live a covenantal life if you if you keep the ten commandments if you if you keep the christian moral laws you make a better society it comes as a response to a lifestyle but if you try and impose that lifestyle politically without the spiritual rejuvenation inside it doesn't work and so my view to to political progress has always been let's convert people to jesus the more people we convert to jesus the greater the political revolution will be but it's got to be by that route now the progressive view takes it the other way around it says if we can gain some political kudos and make some real political change we will attract people to Christ and Christianity, and that's how we'll do our evangelism. I think that's a that's a complete misreading of the gospel. It's a really serious category error. Mm. It's splitting the church, uh, and it, it's disastrous. So, how you say, how will we win? And the answer is only by continuing to bring people to Jesus for for a, for a conversion, a new spiritual life, and and continuing to to present our understanding of Scripture and tradition. In that way. And there's a, you know, one could then go off into church history and spirituality and and begin to see how those narratives uh, play into this. But but that's what I think is going on. It's basically the Holy Spirit versus the spirit of politics.
0: The spirit of politics versus the Holy Spirit. Uh, That is a topic that we could go on and on about. And I think we should go on and on about it. I propose that we break for now to give the listeners a bit of a reprieve and we come back in the next episode of Conservative One where we'll talk more about the clash point between the culture and Christianity and many more issues because I know that there's lots more that you've got to talk about, Dr Ashenden. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening and tune in again to hear more of Dr Gavin Ashenden. On Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedom. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to the Conservative One podcast with George Christensen. God bless!